Paloma is the woman behind one of Sydney's best salons, aptly named Paloma. She has a cult-like following and I soon saw why when we connected recently at the Amaze event in Sydney. I had the privilege of having the Paloma from the on-site Paloma team each day. You did my hair um, and basically I've been obsessed with you ever since. (laughs) We really hit it off. (laughs) Yep. Um, Paloma, our friendship has been so inspiring in the couple of months that I've known you. Uh, For instance, I had no idea that Australian hair salons actually play a pivotal role in helping clean up oil spills in the ocean. I also hugely admire your leadership skills as a business owner and most of all your approach to motherhood. So thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Can't wait to have a big fat DM. <laughs> also just- equally obsessed with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, I feel like I just Paloma just said, "I oh, like how long do you reckon this will take?" And I said, "Well, knowing the way that we talk, it's we're going to struggle to keep it to an hour." But guys, yeah. this is going to be a really nice, juicy one. Very juicy. Let's dive in. I want to discuss a number of aspects of your life because I know our listeners are going to be completely intrigued. But let's start with the important stuff. Let's start with sustainability. Mm -hmm. You are a fierce advocate for the environment Mm -hmm. and you've gone to great lengths to ensure that your salon is committed to the sustainability movement. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an insight into some of the easy changes a a business like yours can take? Cool. So um, it's quite easy as a hair salon because we work with a corporation, a business called Sustainable Salons. So essentially they look after all the waste of the business. Um, So they're, and they work across all salons um, around Australia. So obviously we have different bins that are in the salon. We have one for the hair. It obviously picks up all the old hair clippings from haircuts and that goes to making what's called a hair boom, which looks like a giant sausage kind of like in a stocking material filled with hair Um, and they go around oil spills in the ocean um, and help bring them in. We all know how much hair absorbs oil. So that's incredible. Um, We have a paper bin, we have a foil bin, we have a plastics bin. So all of those things get you uh, taken and um, taken through private recycling and there's amazing initiatives where um, it's the paper and the plastics that get sold to private recycling companies and the money used from that goes to Oz Harvest. So you feed the homeless through X amount of paper that you actually recycle. So there's it's an amazing organisation. It's not mine. I'm not going to take the credit. It's called Sustainable Salons, but we've been a proud partner with them for about five years. Um, my salon's obviously been a part of that journey with them. Um, and yeah, it's incredible to see the impact reports that we get every year from them and how we contribute to reducing waste. Um, we do loads of other things. Obviously, I'm really involved in climate change. That's been a um, massive part of my life for probably the last five years now. Um, so there's other things that we do in the salon. Um, I'm starting to educate hairdressers more about climate change and how to hold conversation with clients because I see an incredible opportunity as a hairdresser to hold these meaningful conversations um, and just bring them to the forefront rather than 
climate change just being this kind of, you know, dark elephant in the room that no one's talking about. I think it's really important that we talk about it and understand it. Um, But then what else do we do in the business? So we obviously use LED lighting to reduce our electrical bills. All our power is with Amber Electrical. So a really amazing off the grid, um, carbon neutralized electricity source for us. Um, We use different shower heads um, on the basin area to preserve 60% less um, water. So they're called eco heads. They're amazing. We have, we use like a non-tox hair color by Kevin Murphy. So there's everything. We get all our beautiful ceramic glasses made by Ryan down at Tamarama. Everything's local. Um, everything at the salon is very considered. And I feel like this is the important thing for other business owners to note is that just because you've taken steps to be more environmentally friendly, it doesn't mean that you're taking away from that premium experience. Absolutely like not. Anyone who's yep. been to your salon yep. would say that it is, it's an experience. Totally. And, and you ne- probably never yeah. know that those, those heads in the wash basins yeah. are, are pouring out less water. Yeah. You know? And that's something I'm not really apologetic about. Um, I think, you know, if I think back to like, even when I first started caring about the environment and like in the nineties, I used to go and get my lunches from Inku and macrobiotic diet and all of that. It was kind of like being an environmentalist or being that way inclined was like you would only wear hemp clothing and walk around with no shoes on and you'd feel at peace with all the others in Byron. So it's not about that. I'm not apologetic about loving luxury. I'm obsessed with servicing. Um, and especially post-pandemic, I mean, it's just really reiterated to myself, my business and my team how important, how important um, a visit to a hair salon is because it's all about how we make people feel. Absolutely. Okay. So can we go back to those hair boobs for a moment? Because you literally blew my mind when you updated my naive kind of take on hair salons. I actually asked you because I know that you're an an environmentalist and I said, um, you know, how do you make your salon environmentally friendly? Because I kind of assumed that salons were one of the worst because they have a high need for product juice and water use and everything. Mm. And then you you told me about sustainable salons. And then you told me about hair booms. It's wild. And then obviously if if any guests are doing big hair changes, um, we ponytail their hair, cut off the the ponytails have to be 15 centimetres or over and that goes to a children's alopecia foundation. So it's making wigs for children. I mean, so everything's repurposed, (laughs) everything in the salon. You wouldn't think that your hair trimmings could go towards soaking up an oil spill. Super cool. That is really, really cool. And do you know, like, was this an initiative that was founded in Australia? Is this? Yeah, yeah. So I know, I know um, Paul and Evelina from Sustainable Salons really well. Um, We have a really close relationship. We obviously have a very shared vision. So everything that they do in the industry, I support them as much as possible. They've been supporting me with my um, climate project in the hair industry. They come, we, you know, we're talking a lot about um, potentially if there's a potential that we can bring the two together, sustainability and climate for the industry. Um, But they, the two of them and their, and their business sustainable salons has seriously reshaped the way hair salons deal with waste. It's amazing. And I definitely feel like, given we're nearly in 2023, if you're a hair salon and you're not with them, there's big reason. Like, I'm, I'm really curious to understand as why you wouldn't be because they make everything so easy for us. And 
I think being a conscious business person, if you're not, you're so behind. Mm. You, you have to be. And it's even, you know, there's so many, I'm just trying to think of everything we do in the salon. I just um, recently um, heard of that incredible um, product brand, Zero Co. Do you know them? I have oh. heard of them. Yeah. They're, they're insane. So all of our dishwashing liquid, laundry liquid, uh, window cleaner, everything, we've now completely eliminate, eliminated single-use plastic. So we buy all their products for the salon. We get the refills in the pouches and the refill bags get reused. So we've completely eliminated all our single-use plastic in the salon for all our cleaning products, which is a lot for like, think about the towels and you know, we're washing machines mm. out the back and all that sort of stuff. We go through, you know, a, a substantial amount of cleaning products. So it feels good just to do all that. You just, I'm always looking at ways of kind of upgrading. Oh, and cling wrap. I stopped using cling wraps made of petroleum. <laughs> it's made of petrol. So we use that for um, balayage, for hair colouring. Often they'll weave it out and paint the hair and then pop like a layer of cling wrap. And I um, also discovered this in- incredible company called Great Wrap. So it's made out of potatoes. <laughs> I mean, awesome. <laughs> awesome. So I'm just always looking at any opportunity to be the most conscious and have the least amount of footprint um, on the world. And I think it's really nice, as we touched on earlier, that you can marry both. I think sometimes Mm. there is this perception that Mm. if you like nice things and you like nice experiences, then you're foregoing the sustainability efforts or that, you know, you can't do both. I think we're breaking that, though. Especially you see that in fashion, you see that. I mean, Stella McCartney was, you know the trailblazer of that. And then I work closely with um, local designers, Maggie Marilyn. I mean, I've collaborated with her last year on an amazing launch of a great haircut brand as well. And she's an absolute trailblazer and, and she's, yeah, she's not about, she's not about like one use items. Her, Her stuff never goes on sale. It's timeless and it's bloody high quality and it's stunning. So bloody here for it. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of feel like maybe just one more question on the sustainability <laughs> stuff, just because it is, I, I think it, it's really eye-opening and it's very inspiring. Was there a turning point for you in your life when you realised that individuals can play a role? Was Did, did, did someone educate you? Or yeah. Did, yeah, tell tell us. So I guess my climate journey started um, a few years ago. I've always been really involved and loved the arts. I was a really arty teenager. I paint, I draw, all of that sort of stuff. And then I joined, um, we're like the youngest benefactor program at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. We're called Atelier. We're a really great um, collective of about 150 patrons. Um, we do really fun events and it's, it's a really gorgeous community. And through my journey in the arts, um, I guess I was exposed to a lot more conversation around climate and around the environment, cultural injustice, all of that. And then I just started on my own climate journey and I was invited um, in 2019 to an amazing trip on Heron Island with um, some really good friends in the climate industry um, and the Climate Council. Um, So there was a group of 50 of us, a whole bunch of creatives. I was with like Paul Kelly and Simon Baker and Phoebe Tonkin and my good friend Heidi Middleton and a whole bunch of really inspiring creatives that wanted to learn more about climate. So we're there for four days and we were like literally in and out of um, of like full day program understanding and being students and learning about climate. Um, so I guess once I knew all of that, 
like you just can't you can't sit back and you can't rely on the government you can't rely on big corporations i'm a responsible human and why wouldn't i do my best in my own way Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. it's like power to the people I mean, that's what we're saying. Like, look at all these incredible thought leaders and these amazing Greta Thunberg and all these, like, incredible activists in the world. And then look at the politicians. How the hell can you – like, obviously, we've had an incredible change in the way that our country's been led now since the last election in May. But still, you can't can't rely on that. And it's a really – for me, it's such a like lazy, like throw your hands up in the air or just pass the buck with them. Like, but oh, it is, they're not it's gonna easy do it. too, isn't it? It is easy to think that you can't make an impact. Well, that's a really closed minded yeah. approach. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just gonna say it. Like, no, people, to, we need to hear to. it. I need to hear it. I, you know, you all, you have yeah. those moments where it's like those split decisions, you know, on like, it's such an easy one is yeah. coffee. You know, like, and you think, oh, it's just that one cup. But how many people know, every single Australia day are using worst. that one cup? We have the most per capita single-use cups. Yeah. yeah. So, look, for me, I'm I'm lucky that I was exposed to what I know. I know that I know more than your common um, citizen. So all I try and do is try and have the conversation with a lot of my guests, a lot of my friends, my community, and help educate others because you only know what you only know. But there you can also take responsibility in trying to understand more mm-hmm. and trying to read more, listen to podcasts, do what you can. Um, I have helped so many guests. It's been amazing. So quickly after Heron Island in 2019, I was exposed to all this information. I created this checklist, which is actually also on my website. So it goes through what you can do because what – my experience was when I was having these great meaningful conversations with guests about what they could do. There's this misconception between sustainability. They're like, Oh, I've got a keep cup. I've got metal straws. I'm like, Mm. that's unreal. That has nothing to do with us trying to reduce emissions. But who are you banking with? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So where your money sits is the number one most powerful thing you can do. So obviously in Australia, Um, With the climate crisis, and it absolutely is a crisis, we've got six to seven years to really change things around or else it's going to be irreversible damage. Sorry, hate to scare anyone, but it is a crisis. Um, The fossil fuel industry, so the burning of oil, gas and coal, is the biggest enemy for us. And in Australia, we're leading in the world. Um, And we need to find um, quick solutions and start planning for a transition to renewables. We are the sunniest country in the world. We have the most incredible opportunity. The one thing I love about climate is every single solution is right in front of us. So you're not second guessing, we're not working with scientists to try to work out the solutions, it's all right here. So with that, the fossil fuel industry is something that I think everyone needs to be really aware of. They never pay any tax, (laughs) they pay zero tax. We pay the tax to help fund them. But in terms of banking, if you're with the four biggest leading banks, they are funding new gas oil mines. So if you bank with them, if you have a mortgage with them, if you have your savings with them. So that's NAB, Combank. Westpac, Ooh. ANZ. Okay. Sorry, I really feel like I'm naming and shaming. <laughs> um, but they if are you, the four biggest banks. If you bank with them, they're using your money to fund things like Adani, which is the enemy. So I moved all my banking to um, Bank Australia, most beautiful little bank, 
most incredible initiatives. Bendigo Bank is also great. There's this amazing website called Market Forces and it shows you everything on a chart, how much they've invested, when they've invested from, but also it does tell you what they're looking at in the future. So um, stopping funding to fossil fuels in 2030 or whatever it is, I think that's ComBank. Um, so that's re- that's a really big piece and I know it's challenging and I will be really honest in saying that my personal mortgage for the next three years for my apartment, I can't move that for three years, it's fixed. Mm-hmm. It's locked in. So the salon has changed and that generates turnover. So it feels really good to have that, my savings, my kids' accounts and my superannuation. Future super, best super fund ever. Absolutely green. I think it is really and important. Also, sorry. No, you go. Um, changing your super fund can be done in five minutes. It is so I think so this is what people easy. need to hear. Oh, I should do that, but when the fuck am I finding the time? Exactly. Okay. Super is easy. You call them. Get, you have to know your number and they will do it all for you. Same as your electrical suppliers. And also, guys, don't don't forget that there is so much fake marketing out there, your AGLs, all of that. There's nothing green about them. So, yeah. I think even though it is not an easy conversation – and to be completely frank, it's not things that we want to hear because mm. it's hard work. Yes. And it's kind of like deflating and disappointing. And, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in the everyday tornado of life. And also and there's so yeah. much information out there, right? Mm-hmm. So it can feel very overwhelming. Which is why I'm a really big fan of your checklist because I think approaching subjects – like this and and other really important subjects you know such as like domestic violence and things like that how do you talk to someone about it without them going oh anyway let's talk about something lighter and like oh let's change the subject and oh she's you know she's a real downer that chick like (laughs) I really like how you are empowering people with the skill set to talk to people about important things in mm. a practical way that not only educates but also offers solutions simply. Yeah. Because if I think if you can't talk about solutions and ways that the everyday person can initiate change, then no one wants to be a part of the conversation. Of course. I don't want to be a part of that conversation. Mm. It sounds really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, but check out the checklist. I, I will, um, I'm going to share it on our Instagram because yeah. I, I was checking it out on your website this it's morning. It's really actually. good. And I'm actually, I'll share with you guys a little snippet next, um, the beginning of next year, I've got a new project. So I'm going to design a six week online program um, for anyone and everyone, not the hair or beauty community, but to how to declimatize your, your life. So every week will be like, how to do your home next week will be finance and superannuation and yes. it will be yeah I'm so excited for so that. this is the best way I can help and I know the um experience that I've had with my guests and they come back to me after like eight weeks for the next haircut they're like Paloma you've helped me so much thank you you know like I've made the changes I've done this and I feel so good about it and I'm sharing it with my girlfriends and I'm doing this and I'm like yes I think that's the thing right you do feel good yeah you know, you feel good when you make a difference. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's more changes. Human I yeah. do I do believe in the power of the people. Yeah. Well. All right. Yeah. Bloody hell. I'm inspired now. <laughs> um let's take this convo to a little bit more about your professional history. Um, because there are a lot of cult followers of Paloma out there. Um 
And I was quite surprised to learn that you were in salons working from the age of 12. Can you give us a little bit of info about like your own journey from like apprentice to business owner? Yeah. Because it's an exciting, like, I love the journey. Yeah. It's it's very impressive. So I think I um I I grew up with my mom. She was a single mom, um. So I'd often go to the salon with her, and I still remember. I have those memories are so clear in my mind, and I would quickly jump on the broom and cut foils for them. And I think I was like seven or eight doing that. So you showed, were one of those little girls who wanted to help and yes. be a part of things. Only okay. at the salon, though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not with the dishes. Um. So it started really young, and whilst I have worked really hard in my career. I am eternally grateful for the passion that is that fire in my belly because it just grows more and more every year. Um, so then, um, yeah, in year seven, I got my first Saturday job up at, up at Mossman and I was a Saturday girl. And then by the time I was 15, I was working um, at Sin. I got a great job at probably Australia's leading salon called Synergy, which was in Darlinghurst. My God, that place was a cult. It had all the best hairdressers, uh, Belinda Jeffries, who's got La Boutique, Kenneth Stoddart, Glenn O'Reilly, Julianne McGuigan. Like, honestly, I think there was like 40 hairdressers in the team. So I was working Saturdays there. In school holidays, I'd go and just work for free. I think I did my first Fashion Week, Sydney Fashion Week in um, year 10. I think it was like a Morrissey show. Wow. <laughs> it was just – it was another world then and it was – I loved it. It was so different. I grew up on the North Shore and it was just like, you know, I was exposed. What I was exposed to then as a 15-year-old girl was like, I do look back and go, wow. Um, And then um, my mom and stepdad really honed in on me and um, really stressed the importance of finishing year 12, which I'm really grateful for, even though I knew I wanted to do my apprenticeship straight away. I did my HSC and I started full-time the day after my apprenticeship. So you apprenticeship. Knew, you knew. I knew. Always. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so I started my apprenticeship there and yeah, that was about four years. I think I got signed off about a year early, just days off. I'd go in, I was assisting, I did a lot of fashion work then assisting big um, hair um, editorial stylists, literally just doing anything and everything. Do you had- know what it is <laughs> that I, every guest that I have on this podcast and there is a huge lineup of successful women. Everyone sees the finished product at the end of it. Yeah. And what they don't see is you working for free, you grinding, you coming mm. in on Saturday, you coming in on your day off and putting your hand up to do mm. anything. And I think like it's really important to to understand that it doesn't just happen. God no. It's a God, it's no. a grind and it's daily and uh, I feel like we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I think that there is this kind of movement towards like and don't get me wrong, I don't think that life should constantly be work and life should constantly be a battle, but uh, the thing is like you do have to commit and you do have to you know, work your ass off to you get do. somewhere. Of course, you have to and you have to. It's part of the learning process. Um, you know, now I have more flexibility in my life and I have days that are flexi days. I have days that I can work eight hours at home. I have days where I can go for a swim. But my God, when I opened that salon, I was there from the start of the day to the end of the day and I had a two-year-old at home. So, so yeah, but um, worked at Synergy and then um, actually the owner of that passed away of cancer, Sharon Ma. The, I still remember her. I still remember conversations I have with her. Probably one of the most influential women in my life, in my career. She was an absolute trailblazer, powerhouse really amazing, um, full of life, energetic Irish woman. 
Um, and then Oscar, my ex-business partner, bought the business. We moved up to Paddington um, and I worked for him for a few years and I was also doing a lot of TV work, The X Factor and all of those sorts of TV shows. So I was always moving around, dancing around, fashion weeks, editorials, that, but always loved the salon, always. And I specialise in cutting hair, so I've only ever specialised in cutting hair. I've never coloured. Um, and then I bought – He, I think he was like, I think you should come into business with me. Like obviously I always had that leadership quality. Um, and I bought in – I think I would have been about 26 or 27. And I was also a young mum, so I had a three-year-old then. Wow. Yeah, and I loved it. It really – I think being so creative, I'm also – I was, I was so surprised in those first few years and even now still am. I love being a creative, but I love being in business. Like it also really turns me on. I love it. I love looking after my people. I am clear and defined about what I want to see, what, how I want the energy to feel in my business, how I want the music, how I want it to smell. I'm, I'm really, I'm really clear on all that stuff. So you're able to command yourself. I've seen you with your staff at the Amaze event. Um, and you're also just one of those people who's unapologetically frank, but you do it in such a, a, an endearing kind of like, um, I don't even know what the right word is. It's almost appetizing the way you describe things. You're like, of course I'll do what you want, Paloma. Like, I love you. <laughs> I mean, I am very conscious over the years. I, 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 you know, I do a lot of personal development work, so I am conscious that I am a direct person. So, you know, we do a lot of work in the team, understanding everyone's individual communication styles, how they like to receive and give communication. Because I know in the early stages of me being in business, I was too direct for some. So that's part of my journey and I'm softening. I'm working towards sitting in my feminine self more as a business owner. I think when I initially started due to many different parts of my upbringing, relationships, all of that, I was a lot more in the masculine so that's just but almost you know you had to be right it just to was get shit done. It just yeah but i'm really over the years i've softened i go with the flow more i don't try and pack too much in so but yeah i'm just obsessed with it <laughs> so on that um owning a business uh where you're training staff and investing your love and time and energy and hopes into these people it requires like from personal experience an expansive amount of effort as well as patience and understanding and ultimately the ability to detach when needed. And Mm. this is very much like you. I try to be very self-aware and this is a lesson that I um, have really tried to dive into. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to love and nurture and cultivate your staff. Um, However, you do need to know when to detach um, because – you know, they will leave a lot of, you know, they, mm. they do. And it is, it is often the natural part of the journey valued and loved team members who are integral, an integral part of your team. Mm. They grow um, and they go on to do their own thing, um, which is fantastic. It kind of means that you've done your, your mm. job, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. I think often mm. people see the, 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 the new up and coming star and they don't see the person who, who was there and took a chance on them when they mm. didn't know shit mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So let's discuss it because you and I've had several conversations about this and I really thought that your approach to it was for lack of a better word, woke, <laughs> You know, you said to me that you've done you've done a lot of deep diving into the own you know your ways of approaching things and mm. the way that you realise that ego is attached to it. 
Um, you recently did an, an Instagram post on two of your most adored staff yeah. members who've been with you for like 13 and seven years. I mean, yeah. Interviewed Sammy in her school uniform and now she's a mother. So, you know, incredible journeys with these two women. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me and, you know, for any other business owners out there who might be tuning into this <laughs> podcast, like how have you navigated those relationships? Ah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a big piece. And I think ultimately so much just comes back to me and my journey. Um, so, you know, as a business owner, I guess I'm always trying to look after my team. I'm, 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 I serve my team and I serve my guests, the clientele, you know, through the business. So when I'm serving my team, I'm attending to their needs. So whether they want to pursue, um, you know, get into more education, whether they, we need to refine their skill, whether they want to move into becoming a blonde colorist, whether they need personal development work, whether, you know, all the things about developing them, making sure if they want to be involved in fashion week, that they're getting the chances, the opportunities. So I'm forever making sure that they're happy and their needs are met. Um, so naturally, I think when you are aware of that and you're aware of the way you communicate and all this sort of stuff, then when someone leaves, there's, I mean, for me, I, I've done a lot of inner child work um, on myself personally. I've done, you know, a lot of abandonment issues. Um, my father left was when I was very young. So all that stuff and all that personal development work, of course, when you have those moments where you're ending a, a business relationship, your stuff can come into play. That's, that's natural. But the more I show up for me, the more I show up for everyone in my life, my business, my children, all of that. So, yeah, I just had um, Sammy and Lydia, two beautiful colorists, such incredible women, um, both decide they were moving on to work for themselves. And it was a really pivotal moment for me where I really sat in a space of awareness as to how I was reacting and what was coming up. And really, it was only love and compassion and not compassion, sorry, it was only love and celebration for those two girls. I mean, they really had never done a wrong thing by me. I relied on them at moments where I was on holidays or whatever they, you know, like Sammy literally did a whole apprenticeship with me and then worked with me on the floor. Like I just, I only have love for them. They've always done the right thing by me and I could see shifts in them and I could see it coming Mm -hmm. and why not celebrate it? We Mm -hmm. need to come think in business relationships also in intimate relationships there's an opportunity to end things as beautifully as they start why does it need to be negative and you know it's interesting in the salon you still get a few clients like oh my god you must be devastated I said no look at my team look at these people and how you know the rest of my team have stood up and they're like P we got you we're good I'm like I know you are and it's just it's an incredible sense of grounding and just yeah, just being really quietly, I guess, confident and just, I just feel good. It felt great and it's happiness. And I saw one on the weekend and she's doing really well and guests will follow her, which I understand. Guests will follow both of them and they deserve that. I'm not going to, I'm just not about that. But that speaks so much to where you are at, you know, in your life. Um, And I really love your take on, you know, relationships in quotation marks ending and the fact that it doesn't have to be negative right like I mean Beck and I have just been through this I know and that was something that the minute I met you and you're like oh she's my former business partner and I was like oh my god they're sitting together they're gonna head on tell me more like I want I just instantly wanted to like find out more B is still I mean like and even like my really close friends 
um, will be like, oh my God, so like, how's it with B? And that's I'm like, what I, I mean. literally, that's I, the- if I told you how much we communicate, we probably exchange about 25 text yeah. messages a day, yeah. phone calls. Um, and yeah. I think that understanding that just because a certain part of your relationship has ended doesn't mean that it has to be the end of a friendship. And like B and I are still working together. Yeah. You know, she's our head trainer. She is, has actually stepped into herself and into her, her, the truest form of like where she should be professionally, you know? And I think being able to respect each yeah. other's journeys and expect each, respect each other's, the way that people want to work yeah, and the mode in which they want to work. Um, and, you know, I think, there's probably where we actually did a whole episode on this B and I like talked about the breakup and I you know I know that people are going to have a lot of questions but like the answer is like B wanted more space to be a mum she wanted to redefine like her work days and how she was working she wasn't as interested in like the back end of the business yeah because it doesn't suit her no and so we shifted it versus an employee like it's good for people to have clarity yeah. It's not for everyone. Yeah. It's not. And, and I just – I think there's so much opportunity f- for us to really remove the negativity around an end of a relationship. Yeah, It doesn't need to be like – that's why with these two beautiful girls that worked for me, it was like just celebrating. Like what more can you ask for 13 and 7 years, you know? You actually can't ask for you anything. You can't. Lucky me. You truly me. can't. Yeah, lucky yeah. you. Lucky you. And lucky, also lucky them because they wouldn't be where they Those are two professionally. Ways. Of course. Without you. But, yeah, I mean, we have, like, girls from the Peaches team are going on to do incredible things. And it is so incredible to watch them shine. Mm -hmm. But, like, I have to be honest, it wasn't always easy to to watch that. (laughs) It's taken years of work. And and it's about how people do it too. Anxiety. I used to – I think probably anxiety would be the first thing that I would experience in my body that would come up. And do then, they not like me? Is it something what that we're not doing wrong? in the workplace? And I'm like, you know, they're yeah. looking over the shoulder at what other salons are going to, where are they going to? Mm. I didn't even ask that question with the girls. It wasn't about that because, you know, that's not important. But, yeah, there's still, you know, you still get those little comments. And people love to bitch. People love, love to be gossip. like, to come they in and like stir yeah. the pot. And, it, and, and they're sort of disappointed when you're like, you're well, like cool, there's, there's, there's nothing no story. to stir. Yeah. <laughs> there's no story. So, But I have many other things that I want to stir in this conversation. Let's take this a little bit more personal. Go. Um, I've cleared this with you before this, uh, <laughs> before we hit record. Um, I really want to talk about your personal life because it's me, it's Tori. Um, it's colourful. <laughs> I want to talk about raising boys first yeah um I think that there's a conscious thought that now goes into ensuring young boys have the space and the safety to Mm. express themselves fully Mm -hmm. without you know sort of toxic masculinity concepts muddy in the waters um I love your approach to your beautiful boys yeah Charlie can you tell me how you are sort of consciously raising these young men Oh, I'm doing my best, <laughs> like we all are. Um, Teddy is uh, 14 early next year. Charlie's just about to turn nine. They're obviously, you know, like my proudest, proudest thing, achievement ever in my life. Um, but it's not an easy road. And there is no Bible. There is no manual. There is nothing. So I think um, obviously as well, I'm separated with their father, but we have a really beautiful, healthy relationship, um, probably 95% of the time. <laughs> but I think 
probably more healthy than a lot of marriages I see around. Mm. Um, we broke up when Charlie was one. Teddy would have been six. Um, just got to, I think we're together our whole 20s. So just got to a place where we could identify that we weren't on the same page as a, as a partnership. Um, but over the years, we're working closer and closer together about raising them. We actually react very in the same manner towards any issues that arise. So you've got the same like ethics. I've got the same values, the same beliefs. Um, Yeah. And I'm just, I don't know if it's because I do a lot of work on my childhood that I'm kind of like, how do I not fuck them up? (laughs) Not saying that my parents fucked me up. I'm not saying that at all. I have a beautiful family. I'm not saying that. But it is my job as their mother to make them feel safe and secure and help navigate them through life. Mm. Do you find that the approach to boys is different to little girls? Like they, know, people I expect really, more? I wouldn't know. I, because you ha- oh, right, to okay. be really honest, gender doesn't even come into play. It, it just doesn't. And I'm a creative. My ex is very creative. Our kids are very creative. My eldest is the most incredible artist. Um, so I think I'm probably more aware and more focused on their emotional regulation, their the way that they we can have open and honest conversations, the way we can communicate. Um, that's probably that's so where healthy. my focus is. I do – there's been a situation which I won't share um, publicly, but it's something's arised with my eldest and it's a real sense of landing now into, it, into the teenage chapter um, and – Last week was actually the first week. I didn't have any anxiety, but the three weeks before that, I was extremely overwhelmed dealing with this situation, but then also trying to understand my part in the piece. How, what is the best way to help navigate Teddy through this? How can I support him? How can we work to getting the best outcome? So I reached out to um, an amazing child psychologist that we work with. Um, we have worked with over the years for issues like this because I don't know how to handle it. Mm. And the way that we are parenting these days is different to the way our parents did it and the way that our parents did it is different to the way they were parented. So, I yeah, I work hard at breaking the mould and to doing what's, I guess, like the go-to, what I knew. And I'm very conscious of the language I use, the conversation, you know, everything. Mm. Even just trying not to raise my voice too much. Oh, uh, <laughs> massive. They're so absorbent. Yeah. And I remember being a little child and I grew up in such a privileged, happy, loving, supportive, supportive, like to the extreme home. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I, I still have like memories yeah. of like absorbing tension yeah. or you know, arguments that were probably tiny between my parents that they wouldn't even remember. I remember them impacting me yes. deeply. Yeah. So uh, I'm very much the same with Isabella. Um, and even in this pregnancy, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Yay. Um, I'm conscious of what, what my baby is absor- absorbing in womb. Of course. Whether it's my stress Neutron. levels, of conversations course. that I'm around, yeah. people that I'm around. They are like sponges um, and I, I so admire the way that you advocate and empower parents to accept help Yeah, um, because there really is no how-to book, like you said. I, I kind of want to go back to this concept of therapy and you reaching out to a child psychologist yeah. because I think there's, there's still, and it, it's such an outdated concept, but there's a lot of people who think that only broken people need therapy or that therapy is like you failed or that you should be ashamed of it or something. I like, mean, like, honestly, if you think that, like get with a fucking program. 
I'll say one this thing. Is, this is a, this is not like not everyone is as cool as you. No, I don't think not I'm everyone cool. is as woke <laughs> and like you know you you have such a healthy way of looking at the world. But but there's a lot of people out there who there is a stigma. So can you share with us like what what has been helpful for you and your boys when it has come to therapy? Like, so my youngest um, has a quite intense ADHD as well Charlie little Charlie Chops um we probably saw signs in the last year of preschool before school um just yeah we saw little signs but nothing extreme enough for us to have noticed to take any extra measures and we just used to laugh saying like um Charlie will get you know like school's gonna sort him out and then we he started kindergarten can I I ask what were the what were the things that you were noticing just not great at interacting with other children. Um, He can't regulate himself. So uh, just big outbursts, not being able to get through to him. He's very impulsive. Okay. Yeah. So then he started kindy and we got the first phone call day two. Whoa. And we had the first meeting with the principal, head of kindy and his teacher on week two. What are they calling you about on day two in kindy? So Charlie being starting school was like him, as um, his psychologist would say, him being thrown into shark-infested waters. He's such a beautiful boy. He's absolutely delicious. But for someone that can't see straight, and if you can imagine the most hectic time in your life, say the week leading up to your wedding, um, the biggest presentation you've ever done for work, just the most manic, overwhelming period of your time, that's what life is like for Charlie. Mm-hmm. So he can't, he's so impulsive, he can't see straight. You can. It's very hard to get through to him. So him being put into a rigid classroom environment was not conducive. Mm. Yeah. So that's where we really started a therapy journey. So we started with, um, yeah, the, the pediatric psychologist, uh, weekly, we started with an OT specialist. He was only five at the time. So it's quite hard to diagnose, but, uh, that was the start of, I always forget years. That was the start of him being, yeah, from five years old, that his full kindy year. Um, that's 2019 actually. And then in August, I took the boys to Italy on the first trip, feeling confident, taking me and my two children to Italy for about two and a half weeks. Had How an old incredible trip. So five and ten. By yourself? By myself, yeah. Wow. Doesn't scare me. I mean, the Barada, the spritzes, the ocean, the Italy, like that's enough <laughs> that's of an incentive. 24-hour trip <laughs> that's with enough. a 10 and a five-year-old. But <laughs> can I tell you, the minute I got on the plane, like to leave Sydney, that little tray, the meal tray in front, <laughs> Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, down, kicking the chair repeatedly, repeatedly. Like Mm. that whole being with him day in, day out, I got home and I just said to the psychologist, I said, he needs medicine, doesn't he? She said, yeah. And we put him on medicine (coughs) for six days and he learnt to read and write. So previous to that, so this is August of kindy, previous to that at the end of term one, they stopped teaching him curriculum and they focused on him just having good days. So no outbursts, no hurting other children, no, like all of that. So he wasn't learning anything. Um, it's I, What an understanding kindy, by the way. Yeah, so it was a really hard time for Charlie. It was a hard time for Teddy, his older brother. It was a really stressful period for myself and his father, for everyone. And I birthed my children naturally without drugs. I'm probably a little bit more left in that type of free thinking 
and to that medication have my had child on a medicine and my ex as well. It was so against us. Like the only thing my kids have ever really had is home- homeopathy that my mother-in-law gives them. It was just so against us, but there is no two bones in my body that I do not think this is the best thing for Charlie. So it changed his life and it changed our lives. I think everything has its place yes. and that's why science is our friend. Yes. And medicine, when it is needed yeah. and used appropriately, yeah. does change lives. Yeah. Um, but I can totally understand that that yeah, was, it was a hard It was pill really hard. Well. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, not for me to swallow, for him. But it was really hard and, you know, you worry about, you know, the long-term effects, you worry about this, but then, you know, socially he hadn't made a friend. He was like What's more it. important? Yeah. yeah. So that was huge. So we work, yeah, with the same psychologist. I mean, fuck, she's just taught me more about parenting and my children than any. Like she, I just adore her. She is like a lifeline. <laughs> she's amazing um at the moment my older son's doing a bit of kinesiology which I'm a huge believer of we see the same person who's amazing so that's energetic work so I know for me if I'm feeling extremely overwhelmed anxious stuff's coming up internally in my body he not that I'm wanting to shift it out quickly but he it really helps so he's amazing um what else do we do I read heaps listen to heaps of podcasts and then I mean, being a hairdresser as well, I get the incredible opportunity of sharing experiences with other amazing mothers and women Mm. so that I value so much. Mm. Um, Yeah, we've also done a psychometric assessment for my eldest son who he is so creative, but then, you know, really... What's a psychometric assessment? A really intense kind of two-hour assessment done by a particular type of psychologist. Um, It's probably more science, but it's to understand how your child's brain works. So IQ levels, working memory, um, processing ability, all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that was yeah. – you get a 12-page report. It's wow. insane. So we only did that in year six. I think – I wish we'd done that earlier. And then I had another girlfriend just talk to me about a different type of eye test, which I want to do for Teddy as well. can't remember what it was about, but it sounded left well, I guess and cool. The way that you are absorbing – things visually yes. would. I mean, I think it's so important to understand that every child is so different. So different. And the way that they learn and the way that they express their intelligence, you know, mm. there was such a black and white, like this is an intelligent child is good at maths and science and reading. Children who are creative get a gold star because I they've know. got some flair. And, like, I, I grew up with an – like, my sister is – pretty much apart from my dad, the smartest person that I know. Wow, academic-wise. incredibly intelligent, yeah. like to the point where, I, like, we're pretty sure she has a photographic memory. Wow. Um, she has learnt another language within a matter of weeks. She's a vet, Jesus. so she's been through vet school. Wow. And my way of, like, communicating and expressing and learning was so different from hers and no one ever, like – made me feel this way but I couldn't help as a child to like absorb this concept that like I was inferior because I of wasn't course. as intelligent exactly in quotation marks because I was creative but you know when you when you give someone the chance to focus on the skills that they do have mm. they excel mm. like 
you well, know that was hairdressing for me what i was about to bring up this concept of like beauty school dropout or like yeah. do you know what i mean like you're a successful mm. business owner and mother um like you you are a trailblazer in the climate sustainability space like mm. but a lot of people might have looked at you at 15 you know, you know, not struggling, but like battling with the concept of staying in school because it's mm, not what you wanted to do mm-hmm. and thought, oh, where's this chick going? And, you know, with me, I started university and I left and I went to film school and there would have been a lot of people who said, she's left UQ in Brisbane to go to a film school in New York City. Like, what is this bitch doing? But you know what? It all worked out. And mm. sometimes if you just allow someone to, like, focus on what they're actually good at, mm. then they will succeed. And you don't always find it even in the workplace. Mm. Like I was always putting my hand up to try and do things mm. in previous workplaces. But if you don't get given the opportunity, then go and fucking do it yourself Yeah, and you can prove yeah. that you can do it. And I think that that, not, not to say that I wasn't given amazing opportunities, but like mm. I think that in Australia, you know, we have this whole thing of like we like to recycle the same people for the same things. And if someone has been cast as talent once, they'll use that person for everything. Yeah, we're like real creatures of habit. Yeah. Not as open-minded about yeah, exactly. Yeah. I definitely think as well in Australia, like I work, I was I was in New York in September doing all the shows for New York Fashion Week and beauty in America and in Europe is seen as a like a really incredible career. Yeah. Like, you know, L'Oreal Paris coming out of like, I don't know, some of the French team there and like all these incredible like I work with Orbe when I'm overseas, I'm working with the guys behind the scenes. They're like, there are huge careers that you can take in beauty and there are, you know, beauty is booming. But it's but looked at in as Australia. Fluffier. Can I tell you <laughs> in my 12 years of being in business and now four and a half years solo. So previous to that, obviously was in business with Oscar, my ex-business partner. And now I'm solo. I have never, I have a team of, a, it fluctuates between 14 and 17 in my team in the salon. I have never had a local apprentice ever. I've never had, you know, like one of the girls from like, or girls or guys or whatever from a local high school. Never. Because their parents are like over my dead body. Is that what you're getting at? I don't think it's encouraged. And it's definitely something I've always wanted to do. I'd love to go and talk to like, you know, the board of studies or, you know, some of those schools because it's a freaking incredible career. You can travel the world, you build a skill set, you're working with people every day, you can go into education, you can go into fashion, you can... Sustainability. Sustainability, you can open a salon, you can also earn really good money. Yeah. Like, it's a great career, but it's beauty school dropout. Yeah, (laughs) right? It's that concept. Yeah, that conditioning that we have here, but it's not seen like that overseas. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I mean, for me, my most used and valued skills... I did not learn at a desk. I did not learn in a corporate workplace. I learned on set. Like I learned like my creative skills, my ability to talk to camera, to engage with that other people. That makes sense. Now, I didn't know my this hospitality skills as well. Yeah, people because skills. What, I, what was I doing while I was pouring people a wine? I was talking to them about their day. Yeah. I was figuring out what made them tick. I was figuring out how different people are once they've loosened up and, you know, figuring out like what loosens people up. It doesn't always need to be a glass of wine. Sometimes it, it can be a direct question. Sometimes yeah. it can be someone actually looking you in the eye and asking you how you are and meaning it. Um, I find that my hospo skills and like I think that's probably a very similar thing in a salon. You're on the floor, you're working physically, but mainly you are client facing mm-hmm. and it's all day. 
and you can we are relationship builders that's what we do but it's huge right like so many people don't understand like how intense it is to be client facing for such a long period of time like you don't get that I mean my role is very different now but back when I first started peaches like there wasn't that break of like sitting behind a desk and not being on for someone Mm. and there wasn't that kind of Mm. it's it's hard to explain I always like to put it put it as if you can always tell if someone hasn't worked in the service industry when you go out to dinner Mm. because they're rude to the waiter and they Mm. have no idea they've never worked in a service role Mm. so they're they're just an asshole and you should never go on a date with them again (laughs) (laughs) that's what I would take it as (laughs) but it's just this incredible ability to like deal connect yeah and deal with a wide variety of people and know when to swallow and smile and and know when to diffuse situations like when you're client facing and when you're a service provider like it's unbelievable Mm. the things that come up I really like I'm I'm still floored by people that I meet like I'm just it's 20 years now I've been hairdressing working um, face to face with people and I just you just meet the most incredible souls and you just you can never judge anyone you don't know anyone's story and connecting with so many people I'm still floored and it's very similar to what we do in the sense that when you're when you're in the chair as a client or when you're on the mat as a client you open up and you know you do it's have a, a, it's it's also like a vulnerable space yes, either I'm exactly. touching a head in a matter of 2 minutes and that coming into that space also like if when I go to Pilates, they're correcting my body. They're bringing in this and like, you're opening up your hips and my God, that's a vulnerable space as well. You know, so much comes up. Totally. So it's a very intimate. Yeah. Experience. Oh my gosh. So really quickly before we click over to an hour, I just want to talk a (laughs) tiny bit more. I know you blink and it goes, I want to talk a little bit more about the way that you are, um, a modern family and raising children with a part uh, w- w- with a parent who doesn't live under the same roof because I, I find it really admirable and I think um, you know once again you're really trailblazing like it, it's not a negative thing that you and your partner broke up it, no. it was the absolute best thing for no. your children yeah and always role modeling right so how do you I would love to know how you guys um, navigate say something comes up and one of the kids, I don't know, um, does something at school and, you know, yeah. they get in trouble as, as happens with all children all the time. Um, how It seems like you and your partner are, are united front. <laughs> Sorry, whoops, ex-partner. Um, talk to me about how you guys form that united front um, before you yeah. speak to your children. Well, I think it's just basic communication. But I think as well, some of the big decision making we've made with the psychologist. So, for example, when the kids were littler, um, us coming to an agreement agreement on what was the best arrangements for days sleeping at what house that was guided by a professional. So I remember there was talks of like wanting to go, you know, and it's changed over the last eight years. It's like was initially me more and then him and I and then this and that, but it was always, that conversation was always held with the psychologist um, and her best interests are for the children, Mm. which is Mm. the most important thing. And so many issues I can see around me of divorced families and this, the intention is not with the child 
And they're the ones that matter most. They're little sponges. Yeah. Um, so, so having a third party yes. who was not biased not was biased. very beneficial. So we are now on a week off, week on, week off basis. So Monday to Monday, um, the children will be with um, my ex or they'll be with myself. Um, but leading up until that, we had a night in between. We had a Thursday night where the children would go to the opposite parent just for that one Thursday night in the middle of their week on or week off. That was when Charlie was littler and that was because it was too long for him not to be without his mama or his dada. So that was something that was always guided. And then we trial and error things and we ask the children. And then I think it was in lockdown um, where our eldest was like, mom, please, can we just do week on week off? Like I've got homework and I'm doing this and da da da. And when we spoke to the psychologist, she's like, well, they're at a good age now. Why don't you just trial it and see how it goes? Trialed it and it worked for everyone and always just checking in with them about how things go. But yeah, we communicate a lot. I spoke to him this morning. He's just had the boys for a week. I'm like, what's happened? What's going on? Um, we're dealing with at the moment, night times are hard. If say we want to go out for like a casual dinner with friends, Charlie's medicine's worn off by that. And our eldest likes to like just poke the bear. <laughs> so we were having a conversation about that and I was like, okay, what should we do? What are some tactics? So it's just open, constant communication. And you're on the same team. Yes. But I really do think that working with a professional, someone that's not biased because we were together for nearly 10 years, our own shit comes into play. Mm. And the longer it goes on, it's now been eight years since we were together, the less of our own conditioned partnership comes up. But initially at the beginning, I remember we're like trying to navigate. We were just together for a whole decade and now we're not. And you still default back to what you used to do, but it's different. Mm. So having someone that has the best interests of the children and their needs, their emotional needs, that has just been, it's it's the best. So it's it's little things. And now, for example, my eldest, so they move as a unit. They move, the two of them move to their dad's mm. or they move to their to their mother's house, to my house. And the eldest, he's such a beautiful and sensitive boy. And when we talk about sensitivity, never in the negative, that's his superpower, something I love to talk to him about. He's a big feeler and he needs his own space. He loves just coming home and he draws for hours every night. He listens to his own music. Oh, wow. But he feels the pressure of his younger brother because when Charlie in the first thing in the morning for 40 minutes and then the whole evenings, he's not on medicine and it can be a challenge. So usually Teddy would go to his bedroom and draw and Charlie and I would be doing dinner or he'd be in front of his Lego and he's good at that. But essentially Teddy's always with him. So he's feeling like he sometimes needs a break, which is understandable. This is what we spoke about last week when we had a session. And so we made up a new rule where Teddy um, if it's his dad's week, he can call me and say, mama, what nights are you free? What night can I come and stay at your house? And have a breather. And have a breather. So now he has those, he does that and he, and it's bloody heaven for us. Cause I'm like, just, I get a night yeah. just with one, which is amazing. But just finding those really great solutions that work for everyone and making sure his needs are being met. And so I just know the listeners are going to want to know a little bit more when in, in, in the, in the time that your youngest Charlie wakes mm-hmm. up and then went in that window before he goes to bed where his meds have worn off, what are the challenges that you face? Like what I mean, honestly, you cannot get through to him. Like even in the morning, it's like first thing I want to do is I want to build connection with him, love, cuddles, all of that. That's really important for his brain, for that prefrontal cortex. Um, And then he's like, mama, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he's usually, I'll give him his medicine straight away. And 
putting him in front of small toys and things to do is the best thing. So he'll just go straight to play. But generally, I have him by my side for the first 40 minutes until his medicine is kicked in. It's very hard for him to focus. It's hard for him to get dressed. It's hard for him to eat his whole breakfast by himself. So generally, I just keep him in a play zone. And I will be like, I'll put um, his favorite snacks, cut up apples and nut bar, all that stuff next to him. And he can eat while he's playing toys. So his hands need to be busy. He cannot sit at the table at that point and he cannot sit and have breakfast. So, and Ted's in his room. So I do, I, you need to spoon feed him because him not on medicine, he's about four year old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, he has no connection with the prefrontal cortex. That's your thinking brain. So that's the decision making so mm. he's very impulsive, reactive, and just – he's divine, though. You probably – if I was out and about, you'd be like – you would know. Like I went for dinner a few weeks ago with um, friends in Bondi and he, he just went straight up a tree. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> there he goes. Jesus. I'm like, okay, cool, just don't fall out. And I'm like, come down. He's like, no. Nah. And he's just like, fuck. You can't. You, you just can't you can't. them. No. So it's also like – I was talking to my ex this morning, like – it sounded great. You guys did stuff at home all day and you went to Chinatown last night for dinner. Sounds fun in theory, but it's actually not fucking fun. Mm, so mm. it's just also us setting them up to win. Mm, mm. It sounds exhausting. It sounds like it's a lot to manage. It is. It I, is. It's a lot. It's stressful. And the thought of, um, you know, I've got like a really fun, um, big family holiday just after Christmas for like three, four days with my extended family on my stepfather's side. And I'm really looking forward to it, but there's definitely anxiety that comes up. I'm, I'm responsible for my two kids. So yeah, I'm looking at a t- potentially a tiny bit of a top up medicine because his medicine's off by three, three thirty. just something in the afternoon. So that if we are around others, I don't have to worry about him racing off running, ac- you know, running. When across- you're in a strange place as well. Yeah. yeah so you need, they need to be safe. Yes. I'm such a believer in, communication from such an early age like with Izzy our practices now you know she's she's 15 months old but I I explain things to her because I'm I'm trying to be really wary of the fact that life as a toddler is hard Mm. all she hears all day is don't touch that and you can't do that you can't so I'm trying to think okay this must be really frustrating for you First of all, I hear you. When you tell me you're upset, I'm going to listen and say I hear you. Mm. Then when I try to take something from it, and I feel like we're probably getting to that age where tantrums are probably coming and so Mm. I'm trying to instill practices in both my husband and I where we communicate with her and we tell her why we're taking something from her and, um, you know, that she can play with it later and just talk talk to her like she's mm-hmm. a human. It's, I'm sorry, but it's like when people call their kids naughty, I fucking hate it. They're Children just, yeah. aren't naughty. They are not naughty. They don't, like, yeah. If, if they're tantruming, there is something big going on inside. Yes. They have, and we talk a lot in our family about big feelings. Yes. And, like, using a range of different words and ways to describe your feelings so that they ha- that's emotional awareness. Mm. And then they can learn to regulate at some point. But I just. But I was just going to say how, like, I can already see that that, those tactics are working. 100%. But but for you, like, I, I have so much respect for the fact that, you know, with your youngest, you saw very clearly that you mm. couldn't communicate and get through to him in that same no. way. Um, and I think that there's a bit of a misconception that like children with ADHD are just naughty or are hyperactive Mm-mm-mm. and people have no idea. Like I didn't no, realise that the front, bright. you know, that, that also that, you know, 
it, it's what's happening in his brain. It's yeah. science. It's, it's science. Not, it's not behavioural issues. It might present as behavioural issues, but yeah. there's so much going on. And I think your ability to approach it with compassion, but also a willingness to work with science where, where it's needed. It's, it's so important. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the medicine connects that fun to the brain, to the rest of it. But then also the work you do at home, the language, the way that you um, keep them close, build build love and support and emotional regulation, all that stuff, it actually also helps build the roadmaps. Mm. So it's like you continue to do that work. And that's what um, our psychologist is probably, yeah, taught us and helped guide us because fuck I don't know what to do you don't I like and that's what that's exactly You're not when, an ADHD expert. That's when I go to get help I definitely you know I feel proud of my parenting I never judge anyone I never judge anyone else's parenting but I feel like I'm really grassroots like I get to the crux of why I'm like why did he do this what's going on and it's like you know that simple thing like when your toddler's screaming and being like I hate you get away from me I'm like I hear you but I'm not leaving you and Mm. I know you don't hate me it sounds like you have big feelings going on and I'm gonna sit here with you Mm. it's like you know understanding that there is stuff going on for them and they just like what they need but they need that safe and secure yes. that is our job and number one presence safe you know and secure yeah that is it it's and it's my god the teenage now wow oh my gosh <laughs> it's all ahead of me i mean i'm at this point with izzy where like if i leave a room she cries and she has yeah. like a deep attachment to me you know which is very much mirrored from me to her but like i i'm such a softy like i can't chris will be like you're making it worse you need to just leave yeah but I can't do it. I have to sit down with her and explain that I'll be back. And, you know, if someone else is caring for her when I'm working or if we have to go somewhere, I, you know, I get a book out and I kind of set them up and I just, because I don't want, I can see like what is happening in her brain is that she, I am her safety. And when I leave, I, I truly think she doesn't know when I'll be back. Yeah. She doesn't know. She doesn't know if I'll be two hours or two years. So I'm trying so hard to, just communicate and I I think as well she's 15 months but when we um when my ex and I separated and broke up Charlie was one and I remember when we went to the psychologist and fuck it sounds like I go all the time I don't sometimes (laughs) there's like a year and we don't go but obviously that was a huge huge chapter in all our lives and we were like oh my god Teddy he was six oh my god Teddy and she was like no 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 Charlie as well. Right. You have to tell you them together. you assume that babies yeah, are one adaptable and He's like, don't no, no, know no, 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 no. He really? will feel everything. You need to talk to them together. Wow. So something like that, you're like, oh, of course. And People, then she was like, yeah. you need to explain it. Does Teddy have a friend he used to play with? And I was like, oh, yeah, this kid at preschool. They played for like two years and they were good friends. And then, you know, they just like they do. The friendship ended and he started playing with other kids. Cool. So that's going to be the narrative. You guys played for years and you had a beautiful time, but we decided that we're not playing so well anymore. Simple things like this, the analogies that they come up with, I Mm -hmm. love them. Mm. So my advice to anyone listening, help only helps. A good friend of mine told me that. Help only helps. Get over the conditioning, societal, whatever pressure or whatever influence has had on you saying that you need to be broken to go to a psychologist. You do not. Show up for yourself honor yourself, do the work. Life is an amazing, amazing fun journey. And the more you show up for you, the better your life will be. Oh, 
How's that? Oh, I love you. <laughs> and you are such an incredible mother and friend and, and advocate. I mean, there's so much more that I wanted to discuss with you. We didn't even talk about your advocacy for First Nations rights, but I guess I'll just have to have you back on. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing Absolute and being so pleasure. open. You know I love a DNM. I mean, love I wouldn't it. have anyone on this potty who wasn't willing to just open the kimono, but I just I think that the, the things that we discussed today are going to be so helpful for so many people. Yeah. You know, whether it's like... And please check out the checklist through my website, through Paloma Salon. Yes. 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 And please reach Stay out tuned if you need for the anything. program next year. Yeah, that would be really wait good. to promote that. That's going to be epic. Yeah. Well, I adore you. Thank you. I adore you, Mama. Bye. Bye.